Equal access to justice is a core American value. In each episode of Talk Justice, an LSC podcast, we will explore ways to expand access to justice and illustrate why it is important to the legal community, businesses, government, and the general public. Talk Justice is sponsored by the Leaders Council of the Legal Services Corporation. It's important to think about the scale of public libraries. There's over 16,000 public libraries in the nation, so they reach deep into those communities that a lot of other agencies don't get to. Hello and welcome to LSC's podcast, Talk Justice. I'm your host, Lynn Jennings, Vice President for Grants Management at the Legal Services Corporation. In today's episode, we'll discuss the role that law and public libraries can play in closing the justice gap. I'm pleased to welcome our guest today, Brooke Doyle, Project Director for Web Junction, a program of OCLC Research and the leading training organization of public library staff. Emily Florio, President of the American Association of Law Libraries, AALL. Her day job is that of Senior Research Services Manager at the law firm of Hogan Lovells. Diane Rodriguez is Assistant Director at the San Francisco Law Library and is the current Vice President and President-elect of the American Association of Law Libraries. And Laura Tuggle, who is the Executive Director of Southeast Louisiana Legal Services. Before we get started with our panelists, though, I thought I'd, uh, it would be helpful just to give you an overview of what the justice gap is, how we define it, and how large it is. At the Legal Services Corporation, we define the justice gap as the difference between the civil legal needs of low-income Americans and the resources that are available to meet those needs. In LSC's most recent justice gap report, we found that 86% of civil legal problems reported by low-income Americans received inadequate or no help. So as you can see, the chasm is quite large. But one of our uh, guests today, Laura Tuggle, is uh, works on the front lines every day to meet that gap. And with that, Laura, welcome. And can you tell us a little bit about what Southeast Louisiana Legal Services does, where you're located, and the clients that you serve? Sure. Uh, thank you so much for having me this afternoon. Um, as Lynn said, I'm the director at Southeast Louisiana Legal Services, and we cover 22 parishes in Southeast Louisiana. Uh, about 50% of our state's low-income population pre-pandemic lived in these 22 parishes. Uh, we have six offices. I'm in the New Orleans office. You can probably tell by my Louisiana poster behind me. Um, and we also have a number of community-based partnerships that really help us reach those other 17 parishes. And our library partnerships is a big part of, of how we serve our whole population. Um, one other thing I wanted to mention is that we are, we've been around now for quite some time. And um, we are big believers in collaborating with many other organizations, whether it be a library or some other community uh, provider. And so we'll share a little other information about that uh, throughout the podcast. Uh, one other thing just to note that in addition to the, the pandemic, our state had 
Um, depending upon which report you look at, sometimes the second highest poverty rate in the United States, sometimes the third highest poverty rate in the United States. And we've been particularly hard hit by the impact of COVID because we have a hospitality-based and oil and gas-based industries in our uh, part of the United States. Um, our unemployment rate right now is about 9.5%. So it's about two and a half percent higher than the rest of the country with about 200,000 people on unemployment compensation right now. So we have a lot of need. Mm -hmm. And so uh, for those people who may not be too familiar with uh, what civil legal aid issues are, what would be the primary issues that you help your clients with? Well, if you would have asked me that in January, I would have told you that about 40% of our clientele come to us for domestic violence and family law issues, with housing being about 15%, landlord-tenant issues, evictions, um, divorces, custody, protective orders, uh, consumer work, uh, bankruptcies, um, employment law issues, unemployment claims, just a variety of things that are really critical issues to people's day-to-day -day life. Um, and unfortunately in the United States, we don't have a guaranteed civil right to counsel. So that always comes as a little bit of a surprise to some folks. And we have to make tough decisions about where we place our resources and library partnerships are a great, great way for us to stretch those resources. Post-pandemic, the family law divorce work is down to about 31% of our work and housing evictions are way up, but that's their podcast. <laughs> there you, that, that is true. That could be many, many podcasts. So as we talk about, and you've mentioned uh, many times your partnerships with libraries and many LFC funded grantees have been partnering with libraries uh, for a number of years. If you could describe to us uh, some of the partnerships that you've created over the course of the past several years. Sure. So we sort of woke up and smelled the coffee about what great partners libraries and librarians were a couple of years ago. And we've we've realized that librarians get asked all kinds of things. I mean, I've been quite surprised. I know a couple of librarians through this work and just in developing partnerships, what they share about what people ask them. Um, just someone the other day asked a librarian for a transcript of the Jim Garrison trial with John F. Kennedy's assassination. I mean, all kinds of odd things that people get asked for. So, um, we know that librarians and libraries are a place that people go to for information. They are a very trusted resource that is that are community based, um, often based in some of the most in need communities that we need to reach. And when you talk about how we really reach down into our rural areas that we serve, libraries, uh, libraries are often kind of it. They are the hub. They're the go-to. Um, I've heard that through the pandemic, for folks to even apply for, say, unemployment benefits when they lost their jobs, they would go sit outside a closed library to access the internet. And so as we were thinking about post-COVID, how we could really um, better partner with libraries, we came up with a number of initiatives 
But pre-pandemic, we were partnering with six, well, with five libraries. We've added one since the pandemic. And two of them were in very urban areas in New Orleans and Baton Rouge. Uh, one of them is in sort of a, two of them are sort of in a quasi-urban rural area, and two of them are in very rural areas. And we, we have a variety of things we do with libraries. Some before the pandemic were in-person regular monthly outreaches. Some were know your rights sessions that we would do from time to time. Um, and some were just sort of a um, more of a, uh, a quarterly kind of basis where we would go out and do some special programming. So it really just depended uh, on what all was going on and what our resources were. Uh, another thing that we've done with libraries and thanks to the Legal Services Corporation about four, maybe five years ago now, they started a program called the Rural Justice Corps. And it is a summer uh, fellow, uh, AKA a law clerk, <laughs> that we uh, develop a project for. And every year since we've started doing it, we have placed our Rural Justice Fellow into some kind of library outreach program. Um, have developed those over the summers and so have sort of moved it around through different rural parishes within our service area. We plan to do the same uh, this summer as well. Thank you. I'm gonna move on to Emily now because you wouldn't naturally think, wow, the American Association of Law Librarians and uh, Civil Legal Aid. So. First, Emily, can you tell us a little bit about what the American Association of Law Librarians is and how you feel uh, your organization contributes to closing the justice gap? Welcome, Emily. Hi, everyone. Uh, thanks, Lynn. Thanks for um, inviting me to be on the podcast today. Um, Laura actually provided a really good introduction to how libraries are involved in the justice gap, and I'm happy to like you said, pick that up and talk about the role of law libraries um, particularly. So AALL or AALL um, is a professional organization that represents about 4,000 law librarians and legal information professionals. We champion the legal information profession uh, through the promotion of equitable and permanent public access to trustworthy legal information continuous improvement in access to justice and the essential role of law librarians and legal information professionals within our organizations, our communities, um, as a way to make the whole legal system stronger. Our members work in um, many different settings. Uh, about 44% are in law schools, 36% um, including me in law firms, 15% in state and county governments, along with federal and state courts, uh, and then a re the remaining 5% in various other um, types of law libraries. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and we do have 
of Diane here to uh, talk about what it really looks like on the ground in uh, a law library to, to help close the justice gap. And I know that, uh, Emily, your organization has been active in uh, promoting access to justice, and um, we really appreciate that. So I'm going to quickly turn to Diane and Emily, you can uh, jump in anytime you'd like about the role of what you're doing in San Francisco. Oh, sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, thank you, Lynn, for having me on this panel of amazing access to justice people. I'm really proud to be here. My name is Diane Rodriguez. I'm the assistant director at the San Francisco Law Library and the uh, vice president of the American Association of Law Libraries. Uh, the San Francisco Law Library is the public law library for the city and county of San Francisco. Um, we were founded in 1870 and we are 150 years old this year. Um, we are the model upon which all other California law libraries are based. And uh, instead of celebrating our big 150th anniversary this year, we are reimagining our library services and resources to deal with a pandemic, um, dealing with the public in a pandemic. Uh, so San Francisco Law Library, the only free and open public access to legal information and resources um, for the public in the in San Francisco area. Um, our mission is serving all legal professionals, uh, city officials, judges, as well as a big portion of our patrons are low-income and self-represented litigants. Um, we provide reference and research assistance, uh, usually in person to, uh, or on the phone or via email. Um, we provide access to materials in plain languages for these individuals so that they can understand the more complex legal issues that they have. Uh, we offer sophist also sophisticated uh, programs um, and extensive author authoritative databases uh, such as Lexis, Westlaw, um, to, which are very expensive and can't be afforded by the average person. So they come to us and we can help them get on those and, and read about their issues. Uh, we also provide free educational programs on legal topics and legal research techniques. And we host free programs, uh, we call it our lunchtime speaker program, where we have uh, legal services come in, we have attorneys come in and discuss topics and educate the public as well as other attorneys on subjects that are uh, complicated so that everyone can understand. Um, we also coordinate activities with legal services organizations in our area so that um, we can better serve the, the self-represented litigants and um, low-income individuals in this uh, post-pandemic world, ha what has been the greatest challenge of, I take it that you're closed down, California has uh, one of the strictest uh, COVID policies, so how, how have you had to pivot to maintain or try to maintain some connection with the public? That's been a challenge because the public comes to the to a public law library when they have a legal problem. They don't necessarily find you before they have a problem. They come in and deal with their problem and then they leave again and you don't see them again until they have another problem. So we, we're always doing outreach. Uh, we do it through our local uh, legislators, um, through the public library, through other legal services to try to make, make it aware 
so people will come in. But uh, under the pandemic, we've had to go completely remote services. San Francisco is one of the, um, has one of the strictest COVID orders in the country. And so all of our uh, libraries in the, in the county are on shutdown, but we are working remotely. We've uh, pivoted to work with all of our legal publishers and resource providers to um, make, put everything online, which hasn't always been the case because uh, legal licensing fees are very expensive for those resources. So we've worked with them to be able to provide uh, limited online access to Westlaw and Lexis. We've also created a digital library of Lexis research materials. Uh, we are doing completely remote reference. So our reference librarians are working just as hard, but uh, mostly via email and telephone and things like that. Um, it's a little bit of a challenge. We've also moved all of our uh, programs online. So uh, people are registering and working with us through Zoom, but because there is a great digital divide, especially with low income and uh, self-represented litigants, it's really hard for them to get the, the research tools that they need. Uh, we're doing our best to service them. Other counties in our general vicinity, um, we all coordinate efforts in California through the California uh, County Law Library System. Um, some counties with less strict uh, orders are able to have a few appointments per day for people to come in. And so, um, but until our orders are lifted, we're uh, continuing to do remote access right now. And I'm gonna move back to Emily for a second because I, I was wondering, Emily, your, um, you have a very diverse uh, membership, right? With working various different um, types of organizations. Have they uh, come to you with different challenges about what COVID's presenting uh, for them and in their ability to be effective? And um, what is your, what have you been hearing? Like I said, our members are quite diverse. Some have been more impacted than others as far as the pandemic is concerned. You know, I'm in a law firm, we're remote. We're able to do most of what we need to do remotely. Um, but some of our other members that are in other library types, particularly folks like Diane, have had um, just additional issues that they've been dealing with. And um, along those library types, we have what we call special interest sections. Mm -hmm. So our government law libraries special interest section has been, they have weekly check-ins with each other to talk about both how they're coping, what they're doing to deal with the changes that, you know, their institutions are dealing with. Um, we have double um, uh, double offers informal coffee chats, and we've had many on different topics as far as providing access to to our to various constituents and how mm -hmm. how everyone is dealing with that on an individual basis. And we are law librarians are a community that truly shares the wealth of our knowledge and information with each other. And we have seen that truly in the last, I guess we're going on nine months now. Um, and Diane, Diane talked about some of it. it you know, it's, it's certainly everyone having to pivot um, on the types of services that they offer and figuring out a new way um, to deliver 
services that they've been delivering for a long time. Diane touched on this. Some of our um, some of our law libraries, uh, the two I can think of are in, in California, including the Sacramento County Public Law Library, um, are very well known um, where they actually have lawyers on staff who would teach classes and offer guidance and advice in addition to librarians who offered um, sort of that front line of providing access to information, whether it's directing them to court forms or providing information about, you know, court process, processes and procedures. Um, so uh, the Sacramento County Public Law Library, um, they've, they still have that lawyer on staff. Um, and while they don't have anyone in person at the moment, they um, can, um, they are offering it through, uh, through the telephone. So they still offer that lawyer in the library program, and they've just been able to pivot and offer it in that way. Um, and so we've seen just a uh, a groundswell of collaboration across our members and sharing sort of what's working and what's not working in their institutions. That's great. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to build on that lawyer in the library because I'm sure that that's something that Laura engages in that she has. And that is something when LSC funded grantees, and I would assume non LSC funded grantees uh, host that it's one of the main components they have is the lawyer in the library for for this for the Sacramento uh, example you gave that's an employee of the library but what LSC grantees do often is they get uh, a pro bono attorney to staff a library it could be uh, in an urban area or in a re remote area that is hooked up um, from somebody, from a lawyer in a big city to a client in a rural area uh, that is happening at Colorado Legal Services. But we would like to see more of that. And I know that, uh, you know, the librarians that work at the, and information specialists that work at private law firms are also engaged in that. And so uh, we appreciate that. Um, you know, I think law librarians, uh, because of their training, are certainly more um, adept at being able to provide uh, legal information and know the difference between legal advice and information and how to uh, look up legal issues. But then we have a huge swath of public libraries across the country. And that's where we bring in Brooke Doyle, who works at Web Junction, who helped us put together a training at the Legal Services Corporation for public librarians. And Brooke, I'm gonna to turn to you to talk a little bit about the uh, Pathways program you put together and who the target audience is and the benefits and what the components of the training are. Thank you so much for having me. I'll start with just explaining what Web Junction is. Web Junction is a program of OCLC. OCLC is a global nonprofit library services corporation. And Web Junction focuses on professional development for public library staff. So all of our courses, webinars, resources are free and accessed by just setting up a one-time account that is pretty simple. Um, so we really focus on helping those frontline library staff folks feel equipped to do their jobs. We launched in 2003 and we've helped more than 140,000 library staff learners build their knowledge, skills, and confidence to better serve their communities. And I want to kind of 
piggyback on something Laura said is that, you know, it's important to think about the scale of public libraries. There's over 16,000 public libraries in the nation. So they reach deep into those communities that a lot of other agencies don't get to. So that is one of the great things about public libraries in terms of access to justice is the reach. And then Web Junction is really seen as a place to turn to for great professional development. So we were really pleased to um, partner with LSC on this national training initiative to help those public library staff folks feel better equipped to answer these questions. And some of it is identifying that a legal issue is even in play. Someone already mentioned this. Sometimes the patron doesn't present like, hi, I have a legal problem. It's, hi, I have this issue with my car being repaired and I can't get it back. Or I have this issue with my child in school and I'm concerned about the discipline that's being taken. So all sorts of different ways of approaching it, they don't necessarily present it as a legal issue. And so to be able to untangle that and get to the heart of the problem, identify it as a legal issue, and then figure out how to help this patron. So to build those skills and confidence, we do really know that a lot of public library staff are really intimidated by these issues. They know there's that divide between information and advice and they don't wanna cross it. And they know that the stakes are really very high with many of these questions. So um, we really felt like a part of a big piece of this training needed to be empowering public library staff. We were really fortunate to engage some law librarians from AAAL to help us as our subject matter experts in developing the training. Um, we delivered a live instructor-led um, training in the spring to 350 public library staff and it was very well received. We took that same content and turned it into a series of four self-paced courses that are now available on webjunction.org. We really tried to chunk the content into four manageable segments so that people could um, you know, access it as they wished and um, what was most relevant to them. So the first course really talks about the justice gap, really um, helps solidify that difference between information and advice, and then some basics of the US legal system. The second course is really about your legal reference collection. So how to make sure your library has the resources it needs and that you are familiar with what those resources are and can get, you know, they're at your fingertips when a patron comes in. The next is about building partnerships, and that's often with um, a legal aid organization in your, in your community, but it also might be with a law library or another social service agency that would make sense as a partner. So who are the partners and then how to build a successful relationship. And the final course is on the legal reference interview, and that's kind of the capstone of the of the series and really the idea is you're, you're kind of building up to that. Um, we really try to remind librarians that you have these skills. You know how to listen empathetically. You know how to ask good questions. You know how to be neutral. You know how to diffuse an emotional situation and you have amazing research skills. So these are all, the, you get asked about questions, weird, crazy questions you have no idea about all the time, like Laura was saying. And so this is just, you know, the content is legal with the added dimension of that information versus advice piece. And um, just feeling like you have a familiarity with the resources and the partners that you can make a successful referral. So um, we're really excited about these, these four courses. Um, they're available for free on Web Junction. I will say there's an additional training option that will be coming in March. It's called the facilitators training. So participants in this training will become skilled at facilitation with the idea they would then lead a cohort of learners through the self-paced courses. 
We think this model is particularly useful with this content because so much of law is local. It really matters on your about your jurisdiction and you know um, what the specifics in your area are. So it would be great to have a cohort of learners that are geographically similar to learn go through this content. So we think law librarians would be great facilitators for the course, but we also think um, just anyone who has an interest in kind of taking a little bit of a leadership role, you won't become an expert in civil legal justice. You will learn facilitation skills to then lead a group through. And the idea is that we know that learning is much more effective and enjoyable with other people. It's a great way to be accountable. It's a great way to just make it a more interesting um, and positive learning experience. So we're excited about that option coming this spring. All right, great. Thank you, Brooke. And um... I just want to sort of emphasize that, you know, in this post-COVID world, we are in an economy where, you know, it's the worst since the Great Depression, and more people are in need of civil legal per services than ever before. Everybody is preparing, whether it's AA, LL, and their law li librarians are getting ready for whatever onslaught may occur when, um, when the COVID restrictions lift and when the moratorium on certain things, whether it's evictions or who knows what's going to happen in the healthcare field or whatever. So there'll be more of a need for people to uh, seek civil legal aid. And so it's more of a need to um, connect with libraries than ever before, whether they're law libraries or public libraries. And so with that in mind, I'm wondering what you all think is the main challenge for you all moving forward so that we can expand this partnership. And I'll start with uh, Laura on that. I think one of the, the big challenges we sort of alluded to, uh, Brooke talked about librarians feeling comfortable. Um, in doing this. Um, there's always capacity issues if you're, whoever you're partnering with, whether it's legal aid provider or not. But I can't say strongly enough what a great partnership it can be. And it's totally free. <laughs> that, that, that is another thing. Like a lot of times you go into other partnerships and you know, you have to worry about space and cost and, and those kind of things really are non-issues. If you can figure out how are we going to work with this particular library or librarian and try to address their concerns. And so um, when I'll give you an example of, I just love this headline. So when we started our um, post-COVID virtual library legal clinic with the New Orleans Public Library in July. Uh, it was just sort of a test, a pilot. We just agreed this week, we're gonna continue it at least through June uh, through a virtual format. And uh, we weren't quite sure how it was gonna go. And so we, we decided that we would create a Google form and that it would sort of live on the library's website and that if a patron needed help filling it out, the librarian would just help them fill out this basic form and then you know, we can both kind of see it. And um, the, project, the project was so successful, we've already had over 100 people kind of come through since, since July. And the um, public relations folks with the library decided they wanted to feature a story. And so 
the headline of this particular story says library partnership saves family from eviction and secures over $7,000 in unplayed unemployment compensation. That would be a great kind of story playing out all across the United States. In this particular instance, this particular patron worked in a local hotel, raising four children, had never heard of legal aid or used it in her life. And, but she went to the library and her kids went use, use the library. And she somehow heard about it and her local librarian referred her to us and we were able to stop the eviction and uh, unwind this bureaucratic barrier to her being able to get uh, benefits. And while we were working with her, she ended up being called back to work, albeit on a reduced schedule. But this lady's life is stabilized because she knew enough to ask her librarian who knew enough to refer her to the local legal aid office. And so we, we love that story and we, we wanna continue to be able to do more of that. And just having the um, ability to get welcoming librarians and welcoming libraries um, is super important. Um, and that making the time to make those partnerships and the relationships work can sometimes be challenging too when everybody is doing all the different things they're doing. I was kind of blown away with a lot of the stuff Diane was talking about uh, that they're doing out there. One other thing I want to mention, you had mentioned, um, Lynn, that the lawyers in libraries and, and what a great program that is. And because of COVID, we're actually doing a test run of a new reentry legal clinic for people who have um, criminal records or arrest records who've recently been released from jails or prisons that are having civil barriers to them being able to um, sort of engage in all kinds of, of activities. They may have blocks on driver's licenses, child support issues, fines and fees, um, a, a host of issues, benefits, employment, all kinds of things. And so because of COVID, we decided to actually hold the clinics right outside the library instead of inside the library, just because of the way this particular library is set up with all kinds of little individual tables and tons of parking and we can still access Wi-Fi even though we're outside. And um, we will be integrating volunteer attorneys into that particular model along with our staff and doing it on a on five Saturday mornings, as long as um, we're able to do that. So we'll be testing that out. Libraries have been very receptive to all different kinds of things. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Thank you. And I would say, Laura, you've gotten more yeses than no's from libraries, correct? Yeah, I mean, there's always a new one to go to. The only, <laughs> the only no I received, which was only a quasi no, uh, was to coming as regularly as we wanted to come. And I think in that particular library, it was a very small rural library with very little staff. And so just like everybody else, if you want to get something done, you kind of have to do at least two people's jobs or be willing to do two people's jobs. So if you, if you make it as easy as possible, um, 
uh, it makes it a lot easier for people to say yes to you. And then um, you get great stories like that one I told you about. And then the librarian will kind of have that aha moment and say, oh, yeah, we need to keep doing this. So if you just uh, make it through to that point where they become your champion, your cheerleader, uh, that's what you're what we're always shooting for. And Emily, as as things sort of transition in the country, what do you foresee as the challenge for many of your members, particularly the government or public facing law libraries as they um, as people come in and face foreclosures and evictions and a whole variety of civil legal issues? What do you see the main challenge as? For us, a topic of conversation always is just the awareness and visibility of law librarians of all types. And I think you see that here, certainly knowing um, knowing that if you are in trouble or you're facing foreclosure or you have a question, knowing that, yes, it may be a public library, but they may point you to a Law, a law library that has information or librarians that can help you and that and that these resources are available somewhat like you know Laura said about not knowing about legal aid it's the same thing about not knowing about law librarians and what we can do and how we can help in these circumstances um, and I know something that Diane has talked about and our members have talked about and I've heard it just about public libraries in general during these times of need is, you know, we hear that age old thing like, oh, who goes to a library or who reads books anymore? But in times of crisis, like this pandemic, you see an increased need for all types of libraries, but not necessarily increased funding for them to provide their services. So I think the need for increased funding is something we will always grapple with and something that is, um, really problematic uh, to get across, mm -hmm. but something that's necessary. Yeah, I, you're, you're right. And I think you, you highlight that, you know, these are, and I think everybody on the panel has talked about it, is that libraries, law libraries, uh, particularly government law libraries and public libraries are institutions in the community that are you know, people go to those institutions before they call up their local legal aid provider. So um, they are critical frontline workers in this as well. So uh, we appreciate that. Diane, any uh, final thoughts on your end? Yes, I just have to say that we really appreciate our partnerships with legal services and the public libraries as well. Um, and it just, it really is a little bit hard to get the word out about public law libraries until someone has a need. But uh, we, we really hope they, we, they come out and find us. Um, we advertise, we uh, work with our local, uh, local city officials to get the words out to all their constituents too. So everyone knows they have a place to go to get access to justice um, from trusted partners. And I think our, I would like to just emphasize that with all the resources that we provide physically, um, I think that our professional library staff is the most crucial resource because they can really guide people to uh, authoritative sources that they uh, are seeking and uh, find a friendly, trusted face who's gonna put it in a language that they can understand. Great. Brooke, how about for you? 
I think um, echoing a few things that have been said, you know, the, um, if you are a public library staff, I would say think about your role as that trusted community institution and what a position you can play in access to justice issues. We, for one thing, in normal times, public libraries are open a lot of hours and are um, a neutral, people find it a neutral, comfortable place, accessible place to go to. And so that in itself is so important in access to justice. So people are coming there because they feel safe. And then when they express their concern or their problem, let's make sure that we're equipped to answer their questions. And so I hope that um, like if you're from public libraries, I hope you will really check out Web Junction and look at these courses to really strengthen your skills. Maybe you wanna take it the next step and do the facilitator training and get a group of your colleagues involved. Um, I would think another, um, and if you're not from public libraries, think about public libraries as a great partner in this work. So if you're a legal aid agency, you know, approach your um, local public library and talk about, um, you know, just make a make an introduction, talk about who you are and listen to their concerns. And um, so they can make really successful re referrals. I do know Lynn referred to this a little bit in the beginning. We have great examples of um, where there are no legal aid attorneys in really rural areas and they need to connect to these clients that need them. And the place to do it is the public library because it's trusted and they have reliable technology and they have space. And so sometimes, and there's some two really great examples on our website of um, just stories about this where, you know, the, the library had the space, had the technology, was willing to do it. And just sometimes it's literally just opening up the space and saying, here's our, here's where you go to connect with our attorney. And sometimes it's providing a little bit of technical assistance, but it's really, um, it's been a great partnership. So think of libraries and, you know, a legal aid um, attorney could be the facilitator, you know, of a, of a group of public library, public library staff, you know, going, taking the courses. So just think about the role that public libraries can play in access to justice. I think there's a lot of potential there. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, before we end, I just want to give a great thanks to uh, Diane, Laura, Emily, and Brooke. I know that we can continue to talk about this topic for a long time, but uh, we want to be able to hold your attention. I would say that the greatest takeaways, and I think Brooke um, uh, mentioned it, is, you know, th the key importance of partnerships here, that legal aid organizations, as Laura mentioned, just go and ask. It doesn't hurt to ask. And most of the time they say yes. And the training now is provided for free. There are law libraries in your area that you need, you can access as well. And so there are a plethora of resources out there where we can help leverage limited resources because everybody on this panel and all of your colleagues, once uh, you're very busy now, but once the once the restrictions uh, are gone, the people are going to be coming to you one-on-one -on -one with, with problems and you want to have the answers for them and you want to be able to help them. And I think that uh, our panelists are there and all of their colleagues are there. So I want to thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you all very much. Podcast guest speakers' views, thoughts, and opinions are solely their own and do not necessarily represent the Legal Services Corporation's views, thoughts, or opinions. The information and guidance discussed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as legal advice. You should not make decisions based on the podcast content without seeking legal or other professional advice.